Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green and I'm your host today. Here we are late um, November. We're a week before Thanksgiving as I tape this. The, we, we are coming up on Advent beginning next Sunday. It seems impossible to believe that, that all this mess started before Easter and here we are now. I mean, it started around the, actually the time of uh, the Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. might have been the last time we actually met here at the house for worship. It's been a long, long time. Um, so the last week before Advent has a particular name. It's the Feast of Christ the King. You'd think that would be an old feast. You'd think it'd be something that'd been in the church for a very, very long time, but it hasn't actually. It wasn't even instituted into the church calendar until 1925. It's an important thing for us to do, and, and it's especially important for us right now in the United States. It's no, in some ways no less important than it is every four years when we have an election, but this time it seems like it's more important because we're a nation divided over our opinion of two people. And why are we so allowing ourselves to be divided over these two people when Christ is the king? There's a million different ways to look at that, and I'm not going to bother looking at any of those million ways because that's something for the world to do, not for me to do. I'm just trying to point you in a different direction. The point of the lectionary in the Anglican world is actually there. there's a, a rhythm and a pattern to it. I'm not going to go through all of it right now, maybe another time, because we're still at the, at the end of this year, and so to go through the entire year doesn't make any sense. But at any rate, over the last, say, 10 weeks, the Old Testament readings, certainly, but then also the Gospels are intended to point us in a particular direction. They're intended to point us to a place where we're dissatisfied, frankly, with our leadership, dissatisfied with our worldly leadership, dissatisfied with even church leadership to the extent that it's not perfect, and it's to realign us with the kingdom of God. It's to get us to that place I talked about several weeks ago in Joshua where, where Joshua calls the people of that moment to recommit themselves to the covenant. God's always committed to the covenant. What he wants is people who are themselves committed to the covenant. And because your father committed to the covenant or your mother committed to the covenant is actually not germane to the issue. It's a wonderful thing that they did and hopefully they taught you what you needed to be committed as well. But it's up to you as an individual and a generation in a larger sense to commit to that covenant, to recommit to that covenant, to re-up. Particularly as we talk about the nation of Israel, the, the entire nation has to be committed to it. It begins with the ruler and then flows down to the people. But the people are no less important than the ruler. But it is important to have a ruler who is himself committed to the covenant. It's a very important thing, and so here we come now to this thing called Christ the King Sunday, and what, what, what it's been intending to do, the lectionary, over the last several weeks is to point us to a place of dissatisfaction, frankly. But it's not just dissatisfaction with our earthly rulers. It's not just dissatisfaction with the way things are. It's dissatisfaction with ourselves that it really is intended to point us toward is it pointing us to uh, the reality that no matter how wonderful our place in the world is at the moment, 
that's not true for everybody, and therefore there's a bigger problem. And we're part of that problem if we're failing to notice the suffering of our fellow men. That it's not the leaders that are the problem, it's us. As I said, as the leader goes, so goes the nation typically. But the other side of it is, is that, that we are individually and collectively responsible for the situation in the world to the extent we're not doing anything to ameliorate the suffering that is around us. We've basically engineered most of our lives so that we don't even see that suffering. We don't come in contact with the man the Good Samaritan helps. We don't go to the kinds of neighborhoods where people are likely to be lying in a ditch, beaten. We stay away from those places. We create our own little safe and sanitized world where that doesn't come in, frankly. And so it doesn't affect us. And so we, we can claim ignorance of that even though we know that's a lie. And so the, the point of these period, this period in the church year is actually to point us to dissatisfaction with everything. It's pointing us to see the flaws in the world, to see the injustices in the world, to see all of that afresh and anew and long for the coming of the kingdom, which is longing for the incarnation of Jesus is how it played out in history. But in longing for the the incarnation that we celebrate during Advent, it's a longing for the coming again of Christ, but we know that he comes not in the same way this time. He comes in judgment. And so that's some of what we want to talk about today. This is going to be a two-part thing. There's a lot to take in with the feast of Christ the King. And so what I want to do is talk about some of that today and then Probably tomorrow I'll record another second podcast because there's a lot to say. There's a lot to say about this world that we live in, and it's important that we look at that. What I, what I want to do, again, Christ, the Feast of Christ the King was instituted in 1925, and tomorrow in the, in the second version, second part of this, I'll talk about the motivation that the Roman Catholic Pope Pius had in mind when he did this, Pius XI, by the way. It's not just Pius. There's been more Piuses than that. So there are, he was Pope Pius XI, inaugurated this on December the 11th, 1925. But there was, a, there was a specific reason that he chose to do it when he did. There's a specific reason he felt the need of a new feast day added to the church calendar. And we'll talk about that reason tomorrow, and then we'll look at some of how that plays out. It'll be more of a philosophical sort of a sermon than than. Um, then this one will be. This one will not be focused on the philosophical. So, <clears throat> but I want to read to you first sort of what the hope was for instituting the feast of Christ the King. What, what he said was is that, that the feasts matter in the church year in the sense that we're always going to celebrate that feast every single year. So it focuses our attention. We know it's coming, like Advent, like Easter, like Lent, like Epiphany for us, like Pentecost, all those things. We, we, we anticipate those things because we do them every year. And so by, by repetition, we gain something that we don't gain by doing something once every now and then. And so what the Pope said in the letter that established this is, we firmly hope, however, that the Feast of the Kingship of Christ, which in future will be yearly observed, may hasten the return of society to our loving Savior. 
it would be the duty of Catholics to do all they can to bring about this happy result. And what he said was this is the benefit that he hoped the faithful would receive from this annual remembrance. He said the faithful, moreover, by meditating upon these truths, will gain much strength and courage, enabling them to form their lives after the true Christian ideal. If to Christ our Lord is given all power in heaven and on earth, if all men, purchased by his precious blood, are by a new right subjected to his dominion, if this power embraces all men, it must be clear that not one of our faculties is exempt from his empire. He must reign in our minds, which should assent with perfect submission and firm belief to revealed truths and to the doctrines of Christ. He must reign in our wills, which should obey the laws and precepts of God. He must reign in our hearts, which should spurn natural desires and love God above all things and cleave to him alone. He must reign in our bodies and in our members, which should serve as instruments for the interior sanctification of our souls, or to use the words of the Apostle Paul, as instruments of justice unto God. And so what he said is, is that the hope of this annual remembrance of Christ the King is to do exactly what I was speaking about a minute ago, which is to re-up the covenant. Every single year, it's the recognition of he's on the throne. It's placing him back on the throne in our lives in every single way, as he says. In every single aspect of our lives, in our minds, in our wills, in our hearts, in our bodies. And so we're submitting all of ourselves to the reign of Christ by placing him on the throne on this day in our worship every single year. And so then we would long for his coming again next week in the beginning of the season of Advent. So that was the hope that Pope Pius XI had when he established that. And I know that hardly anybody who's listening to this is Roman Catholic, but would anybody disagree with what he said there as far as the importance of Christ the King in our lives. So that's the purpose that was intended for this, that that annual remembrance would be a time when we would re-up the covenant, the re-up the recognition of Jesus as the King in our lives and over all things, whether we see the full establishment of his kingdom here or not, because we know that in the end, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So we know he is indeed king. He was proclaimed king when God rose him from the dead. That set him apart from every person who had ever lived and sets him apart even now from every person who has lived since his death. And so Jesus is king in Revelation 5. That's exactly what happens. He becomes king. When the angel says to John, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and John looks, and behold, what he sees is not a lion but a lamb. He's a particular kind of king. He is the king who laid down his life in order to receive his kingship rather than accepting the temptation that was presented to him in the last temptation, which is to lay down his kingship and his claim to the throne right at the beginning so that he could receive the kingdoms of earth. But his kingdom was greater than that. And it's exactly the same thing that he tells Pilate in the end. My kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate, mockingly or not, puts that tribute above him that he is the king of the Jews. That's nailed on the cross with him. But there's one man sees through the pretense, sees through 
everything that's going on there has clear vision for what's going on and that indeed this one is coming into a kingdom at that moment and that one who sees that is the thief on the cross who says jesus remember me today when you come into your kingdom that man had supernatural vision he saw something that only god could have revealed to him in the same way that peter had it revealed to him who Jesus was, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who is to come into the world. Revealed to John in the same way when he points and he says, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He has, through the power of his Holy Spirit, revealed that same truth to us. But it's not just a spiritual truth. It's not meant to be just a spiritual truth. It's meant to be an actual truth, a lived truth in our lives. And that's what our lessons tell us today. The first lesson is from Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16, and 20 to 24. And it's the promise of the coming of Messiah. But God says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I'll rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I'll bring them out from the peoples and scatter them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I'll feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of Israel, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I'll seek the lost, and I'll bring back the strayed, bind up the injured, and I'll strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I'll destroy." I will feed them in justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push it with side and shoulder and thrust it all the week with your horns until you've scattered them abroad. I'll rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I'll set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So God's promising to come and shepherd his own flock. Other places in Ezekiel and also in Zechariah, he talks about bad shepherds. Jesus does the same when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. So he's breaking the staff of those shepherds. By saying, follow their teaching, but not their example. Because they tie up heavy burdens that they themselves are not willing to bear. And so Jesus fulfills this very prophecy. I, I myself, will search for my sheep. Remember, Jesus says his mission was to seek and save the lost. He talks about leaving the 99 behind and going finding the one that's lost. He talks about all these same images, uses most of those same images as he collects them from Isaiah and uses them in Luke 4 in the synagogue in Capernaum when he announces his ministry, the day of the Lord has come. Ultimately describes himself as the good shepherd, which is the final straw in some ways. Because they know there's only one good shepherd, 
If Jesus claims to be the good shepherd, then he's claiming equality with God. It infuriates them because they're the fat sheep. So Jesus did come in judgment on the fat sheep at the time of his incarnation. He came and judged them when he called them hypocrites. When he turned the people away from them, not from their teaching, but from who they were. Because they were lording over his people. They were not shepherding the flock. They were lording it over the flock. And so God says he comes, he'll come and be their shepherd. And so Jesus comes on the mission of God himself because he is consubstantial with God. He is God. But then the father says that I'll set David as one shepherd over the flock. There is truly one shepherd in David, son, Jesus, is that one. He's also the lion. He's also the lamb from Revelation 5. He's both those things. He is the king, the king whose kingdom was established by the laying down of his life. A sheep looking like it was slain, but that sheep looking like it was slain was also the lion of the tribe of Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah, the prophecy that the forefather, Jacob, spoke about each of his children. When he speaks of Judah, he describes him as the lion, the one who will rule over all. And so Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is also God. He fulfills both aspects of this prophecy in his own being. So he fulfilled that promise of the coming of God and the establishment of David as the shepherd, he fulfills that in his flesh, in the incarnation. So the gospel is Jesus pointing into the second coming. And he says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. There's this vision that John will later get from Revelation where Jesus comes with the angels when he leads the angel armies to the earth in judgment on sin. And that's what Jesus is referring to when he says that. He says, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, did you hear that? The son of man, now king, before whom all the nations are gathered. The king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. When the world was founded, when God created the heavens and the earth, this kingdom, this king, was already the plan. It was never a surprise that this would happen. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him with puzzlement, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did you see, we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, not blessed, cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Join them 
For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me. Naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he'll say to them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous shall enter into eternal life. Which way are you going to have it? It seems to me that way too often... We've sold people a bill of goods. We've sold people the bill of goods that says, if you believe, that's all you have to do. Jesus is saying something else. That's not what he says here at all. He said that belief needs to lead, lead you to see two things. It needs to lead you to see me as king. Recognize that from the beginning. There's your belief. There's your faith. But he says here that that faith needs to lead to some work. And if you don't do the work, then I don't see the faith. There's a proof that has to happen. You have to change not just your mind, not just your heart, but your life. And if we look back to what the Pope wrote in that encyclical that established the Feast of Christ the King, I think we see the same thing. I think we see exactly the same thing, in fact. It's clear that not one of our faculties is exempt from his empire. He must reign in our minds, which assent with perfect submission and firm belief to reveal truths in the doctrines of Christ. He must reign in our wills, which should obey the laws and the precepts of God. He must reign in our hearts, which should spurn natural desires and love God above all things and cleave to Him alone. We must reign in our bodies and our members, which should serve as instruments of the interior sanctification of our souls, or to use the words of the apostle, as instruments of justice unto God. We're called to establish justice. We're called to care for and love our fellow human beings in exactly the same way that Jesus did when He gave Himself. He laid down His life for us. And it's then our call to lay down our lives for Him and he says there's two commandments that need to matter most to you, and one is to love the Lord your God, and the other, which is like unto it, it's indispensable, is to love your neighbor as yourself. So here he's saying that it matters ultimately and completely what we do with our lives. It's not a call to a safe existence. It's a call to lay down your life, not just for him, but for your brothers as well, which is exactly what Jesus said at the Last Supper. It's exactly what Paul says again and again, that we're to lay down our lives in service to him by serving others. So, faith alone requires change of life, change of heart, change of mind, change of will, change of how we use our bodies and what, how we use what we have been given on this earth in service to Him by serving others. Finally, Paul in the epistle is Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, and he says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I'm not sure that Paul could have exalted Jesus more than he did right there. It's one of the most beautiful passages of glorification you're likely to read anywhere. And what he's saying is, is that one that I'm speaking about who is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come, that one, he says, loves you. He is the lover of your soul, and his invitation is to come and dwell in his kingdom, which is an eternal kingdom. What he offers us is so great, it is beyond our capacity to imagine. What he asks of us is our life. All of it. Just as he spared nothing for us, so we are to spare nothing for him. We are to love the Father with every single ounce of our energy, every single part of us is to love him in exactly the way Pope Pius XI said he wanted us to remember on the Feast of Christ the King. And so what he's asking of us is everything that we have in this life. What he's promised us is eternal life in his kingdom. To dwell with him in perfection and glory throughout all eternity. He says here, punishment is real. Says that in the gospel, says that in the Old Testament lesson as well. We've got to recommit ourselves, I think, to life, not just faith, but life. We've got to commit ourselves to have the eyes of our hearts opened so that we see the ways in which we can be the hands and the feet of Christ to the world, collectively and individually. You've been called to a high calling. You've been gifted with every gift you need to do the work He's going to set before you. And those gifts sometimes are in ourselves, but sometimes it takes collaboration. And it's the gifts of those around you, those who love you, those who we call brothers and sisters. Those are gifts, great gifts in this walk of faith are those people around us as encouragement, support in times of need, but also we can do far greater things with our brothers and sisters together. The power of one is small compared to the power of many filled with the Holy Spirit using their gifts to establish the kingdom of God and to show the world the love of Christ. 
we've been granted great honor to serve in any capacity in his kingdom because not a single one of us is worth it. We're not worthy at all, except for Jesus says we are because of his great love for us. And so let's recommit our lives this year to pursuing him with everything within us and to serving in his kingdom in any way he calls us to serve. That's what it looks like when Christ is king of our lives. You've been listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. Thank you for being with me today. Again, I'm John Green. If you want to connect in any way, then go through that link over on the side there about Facebook, and that'll connect you to the Faith Seeking Understanding page on Facebook and and send me a message. Do whatever you like on that page. But I'd love to connect with you, and I'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for being here. And the Lord bless this week as we prepare to move into the season of Advent.